inspiring, bold, progress, movement. These are just a few words that come to mind when I think about all of the collective action happening in the streets, on the picket lines, and on the shop floor. Working people in Oregon and across this country are fed up with a rigged economic system that isn't working for them, and they're doing something about it. Unions are gaining in popularity at levels not seen in 50 years. More workers are taking bold action at work than at any time since the 1980s. It's exciting, it's important, and it gives me a lot of hope for what working people can accomplish when we stand together. I'm Graham Trainer, Oregon AFL-CIO president, and you're listening to The Voice of Oregon's Workers, a monthly podcast from the Oregon AFL-CIO. As the State Federation of Labor Unions in Oregon, we proudly represent over 300,000 working people in every facet of our state's economy, and we serve as a strong voice for all workers, whether they have a union on the job or not. We're here to bring you the stories every month about the people and the organizations who are changing what it means to stand together and build power for working people. Welcome back to the Voice of Oregon's Workers. This is our first episode of 2021. I'm Russell Sanders, Communications Director for the Oregon AFL-CIO, and what a month it has been. Since our last show, we've had an attempted insurrection on the United States Capitol, the second impeachment of a now private citizen who I will not dignify by naming, and then we had the inauguration of Joe Biden as our 46th President of the United States of America. Wow. And on top of that, and the flurry of executive orders, appointees, and everything else that comes with undoing the past four years, we've begun the 2021 Oregon Legislature. Lawmakers gaveled in last week remotely, tasked with a historic imperative to do everything possible to protect Oregonians from the pandemic and its subsequent devastating economic freefall. Oregon's 2021 session began in a way that no democracy should really ever have to. Our state house boarded shut and lawmakers kept out of the building for fear of armed extremists attempting to disrupt proceedings as we saw in December. Joining me to walk through one of the most important legislative sessions of our generation is the Oregon AFL-CIO legislative team. We've got political director Jess Genettino Viatoro, who's joined us a few times on our podcast already, and Katie Tyson, lead policy strategist who recently joined the team. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Hello. So what's changed in the legislature? What's the composition of the Oregon legislature right now, and what's changed since the election? Yeah, so, um, you know, the 2021 legislative um, session and legislative assembly um, is uh, looking a little bit different than last time. Um, Obviously, there's some really unique um, challenges just with a virtual session with COVID-19, but some really um, amazing opportunities for 2021 as well, Um, mostly in part because of the tremendous work union members um, did to get labor folks elected to office. So in terms of the legislative um, makeup, um, you know, obviously there's the two bodies, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, In the Senate, that's 30 seats. Um, The overall math remains the same from last legislative session. So there's 18 Democrats and 12 Republicans still. Um, Republicans uh, uh, didn't win any seats, but there were two that were flipped. So Democrats got a seat in Salem with Deb Patterson, who is an SAIU member, and Democrats lost Arnie Roblin's seat on the coast. So what that means is the math is the same. Um, But I think Jess will talk about 
um, some really incredible union members who um, are now in the Senate to hopefully change the culture of the Senate a little bit more. Um, on the House side, the math changed just a little bit. Now there are 37 Democrats and 23 Republicans, um, so one less Democrat than last legislative session. Um, another interesting one where a couple seats flipped. Um, two former Democratic seats are now held by Republicans, both on the coast in Astoria and Coos Bay. Um, and one seat was picked up by a Democrat, um, House District 54 in Bend. So um, essentially what that means on the bigger picture here is, um, you know, we talk a lot about um, the walkouts from last session and sort of the Democratic majorities to make sure that that um, doesn't happen. Um, legislative quorum is 20 senators and 40 representatives. So there's still no walkout proof um, majorities from the Democratic Party. Um, so essentially business still can't be done if the majority of the Republicans decide to not come to work. Um, that'll be really interesting to see in a virtual session what that bar looks like. So again, a lot of unique uh, challenges and a lot of unique opportunities. That is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for telling us about that, Katie. Which legislators are you most excited to see take office this year? Yeah. Um, so thanks to, as Katie mentioned, thanks to a bunch of work that union members did, we have a really exciting um, group of freshman legislators, um, the most diverse crew um, that we remember electing in our time. Um, including a bunch of current and former union members and staff. So folks who bring with them to the legislature, the values of Oregon's labor movement. Um, and I would be remiss not to miss, um, to mention Representative Dacia Graber, who is AFL-CIO's own um, International Association of Firefighters Local 1660 member, who is also now the vice chair of House Business and Labor, which is the committee that most of the labor movement's bills will go through. So we're really excited to see her not only elected to the legislature, but really elevated right off the bat to a key um a key leadership role within a really important committee for Oregon's labor movement. That's so great to have so many strong voices coming into the state legislature. I'm glad you mentioned Representative Graybar. She's my representative. I live in her district. And one thing I've noticed that's cool is she's doing a really good job of like showing people how uh, the legislative process works by doing videos on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's really a great way to, I think, educate her constituents and other folks about you know, how to track a bill, how to go online and see what committee meetings are happening in a given day. And it's so great. She uh, also snagged that really critical committee assignment as well. There's so much important work to do during this legislative session. What priorities are the Oregon AFL-CIO legislative team going to be closely engaged on over the next few months? Sure. So I'll just first talk a little bit about the lens that the Oregon AFL-CIO brought to this legislative session. Um, the first of which is uh, the legislature needs to pass some critical policies to ensure that the workers who have been most impacted by um, COVID and this unprecedented economic and public health crisis have what they need to make it through um, until the next legislative session. So um, that is one lens. And then the second lens is that, you know, the legislature should be really focused on building an economy that works for Oregon's families. It should not be focused on rebuilding to where we were pre-COVID, because what Oregon's unions know is that that wasn't working for far too many working Oregonians. 
Um, I mean, you know, I think it's um, important that we just highlight a little bit about who has lost the most during COVID, right? When we look at sectors that have been closed down for the longest, um, hospitality, retail, entertainment, those sectors are predominantly made up of women and women of color. If we look at nationally, the federal job loss numbers from December, 140,000 jobs were lost. All of them belong to women. That doesn't just happen. Um, so our goal should not be to just go back to where we were uh, pre-pandemic, but to really build an economy that looks forward. So, um, you know, there are a few bills that the Oregon AFL-CIO is leading on that Katie and I can talk about. Um, but then, you know, the second lens to our work is that obviously we support affiliates priorities and partner priorities um, to ensure that Oregon's working families have what they need. So um, one of our bills that we're really excited about is Senate Bill 483. Um, it um, deals with retaliation that workers are facing by their employers when they raise safety and health concerns. So we know that workers are raising safety and health concerns more than they ever have before. If we look at OSHA complaints, OSHA typically sees 2000 complaints in a 12 month period. And just throughout the pandemic, which is obviously not reflective of a 12 month period, they had seen 20,000. That is a tenfold increase in the number of workers who are willing to contact an agency and say that their employer was putting them at undue risk. Um, and unfortunately, what we've seen is some pretty egregious acts by employers of straight up retaliation, whether it's fire, outright firing workers when they say that they're not safe and they need additional protections um, to demoting them and otherwise. So what Senate Bill 483 would do is ensure that workers have a clearer path to proving retaliation by their employer after they raise a safety and health claim. Um, so what that means is that it would create what's called a rebuttable presumption. So the burden would flip from the worker having to prove that an employer retaliated against them. And instead, the employer having to prove that they took that action against a worker for any other reason than wasn't retaliatory in nature. And as many of you know, Oregon is an at-will state, so an employer can take almost any action against a worker as long as it's not discriminatory or retaliatory in nature. So our hope is kind of twofold with this legislation. One, it reduces the incredible burden that is on a worker when they're trying to improve the intent of their employer. Um, and two, that 60-day period when the employers know that they'll have to prove a higher bar than they typically do will cause employers to just, I often like to say, take a chill pill and not react to workers who are just trying to um, exercise their rights on the job to maintain safety for them and their coworkers. Those are all such important issues to be working on during this legislative session. Thank you so much, Jess, for explaining that breakdown. You know, in normal years, when there's not a pandemic going on, we would be on the lookout for rollbacks, for attempts to maybe take away some of the progress we've made on behalf of working people in previous legislative sessions. What's going to happen this time? Are we expecting to see, you know, bad acting employers or folks like that try to pull the rug out from underneath workers um, while so much attention is focused on the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So we're at a point in session where not all of the bills, the term is dropped, but essentially what that means is not all of the bills are out in the world where we can see all of them. Um, so we don't know exactly everything that's headed our way. 
Um, what we can tell you now, um, one bill that's been filed that's a pretty like egregious attempt is House Bill 2248. Um, and what I would do is reduce the amount of a penalties assessed um, when an employer violates wage and hour law. Um, so essentially, you know, penalties exist to deter employers from stealing wages, right? That is just a fundamental basic. Um, and what 2248 would do is say, you know, if that employer didn't remedy the wage violation before the employee lift, left, then they are no longer responsible for the wages lost between when the employee left um, and when the lawsuit was filed. And that can often um, be a significant deterrent for employers um, um, who might contemplate committing wage theft. So that's a reduction in protections that I know that we and other folks in the labor movement will be watching. Um, and frankly, during a global pandemic is not the time um, to be re reducing protections for wage and hour laws in Oregon. And, you know, I think there um, are a whole other hosts of bills um, that we'll continue to track. What's an interesting trend that's occurring this session in a way that I don't think I've seen before is attempts to limit agencies' ability to create rules. Um, and as many of you are listening to this, uh, know that the Oregon AFL-CIO and our allies have been engaged in a pretty hefty rulemaking in Oregon OSHA to make sure that there are safety and health standards for workers. So the legislature um, has clearly heard concerns from some of the business community associated with this rulemaking and others. Um, and there are attempts to limit an agency's ability to continue to do that work. So we'll continue to watch that because the way that we um, protect workers isn't always through the legislature. Um, it is through the agencies that regulate workplace interactions as well. Thanks, Jess. And yeah, as a movement, we always have to stay vigilant for those attacks on workers' rights uh, in any way that they may come. So the, the approaching things through legislative and through agency advocacy is just so critical at a time like this. I started our episode by talking about insurrection, threats to democracy, and the presence of armed extremists at the Oregon Capitol. Republican State Representative Mike Neerman is now infamous for allowing these extremists into the building last December during the final special session of 2020. What actions have been taken to hold him accountable so far? Yeah, um, and just to put a you know finer point on the situation for folks who haven't been following, although it's made like national uh, news at this point, um, another. National News for Oregon. Um, Representative Mike Neerman, a Republican outside of Independence, who's kind of a head honcho at the Freedom um, Foundation, um, during the legislative, the special legislative session in December, where the legislature was trying to move a couple um, uh, COVID-19 bills specifically. Um, you know, I'm sure you've all seen the footage. He you know, walked out, letting opening the door, and what that led to was at least 50 people um, gaining access to the, uh, you know, capital lobby, essentially. Um, the police were able to remove them from the building, but, you know, six um, police officers were pepper sprayed during that altercation. Um, so, you know, obviously a really significant um, moment uh, and a breach of the Capitol when folks were trying to pass laws to help Oregonians. Um, so a handful of Democratic lawmakers, um, including Speaker Tina Kotek, have already called on your men to resign. Um, there's a criminal investigation from the state police. There's an investigation by the Legislative Equity Office. He's been already given a $2,000 fine. 
Um, he's been stripped of his committee assignments and um, many folks, and he's also given up his 24-7 um, building badge and he has to inform folks when he's entering the Capitol. So there's certainly been some um, things that have happened. Um, it'll be really interesting to see where those investigations go. Um, I think going back to what I was talking about at the beginning in terms of majorities or, you know, number the math of the um, of the legislature, um, you know, the, his fellow colleagues could vote to expel them, um, but they would need three Republicans to join them. Um, so the Constitution allows lawmakers to expel a colleague with a two-thirds vote. Um, so Democrats again hold 37 seats. Um, so there would need to be four folks for, or three folks from his party um, to vote. And it's interesting because the Republican um, leader in the House um, hasn't totally ruled that out. Um, she, you know, has said. Um, that, you know, legislators are not above the law and they should be held responsible, but, you know, that all of these investigations need to take place before that conversation was on the table. So, you know, I think that, frankly, is probably not going to happen, um, but I think we'd definitely like to see um, more action taken to hold him accountable for these, uh, for that wrongdoing. Thanks for explaining that, Katie. Uh, yeah, Mike Nearman, Representative Nearman, absolutely needs to be held accountable for his actions uh, last December. and. You brought up the Freedom Foundation, which I wanted to make sure our viewers are aware of. Um, so two things here. the Mike Nerman is on the staff of the Freedom Foundation, and they are a pretty well-known anti-union um, group. Uh, they purport themselves to be a think tank, but they have ties to anti-LGBTQ movements, uh, ties to anti-immigration movements. Mike Nerman, Mike Nerman himself was associated with the Organs for Immigration reform, um, a group that was labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, so for, for more about Mike Nearman and about his ties to the Freedom Foundation, I would really encourage folks to um, look up the Northwest Accountability Project. They're a watchdog group that uh, their job is to hold folks like the Freedom Foundation and Mike Nearman accountable. And as we've seen political violence escalate in Oregon, I think that's going to continue to be um, something we're all going to have to stay vigilant on. So to shift gears for a little bit, um, you know, I think one thing that is really important for people to understand is that when a lawmaker and when a legislator can hear from a worker, uh, from a person about how a, the law impacts them, um, how a law change could make their life better or make it more difficult, that really helps move policy forward. Um, it's such a critical tool. How can union members and workers who are interested in getting more involved in Oregon's legislature and advocating for good bills um, that support a, an economy that's just and fair for all of us, how can they get more involved in what you guys are doing in the state capitol? Yeah, absolutely. And just to put a finer point on that, like that is what moves legislators. It's not like the nitty gritty of the policy 99% of the time. It's not lobbyists talking to them. It's workers and impacted people sharing their stories about um, why this really matters and like legislators being able to really look at someone's face and hear their story and, and understand the impact. So um, just to put a finer point on that, like, yes, uh, we need folks to come and participate in our democracy and share your stories and ask your the legislators who represent you to do what's right. Um, so, you know, we uh, just had a a legislative conference where we did just that. We highlighted um, workers and policy experts talking to um, legislators about some of the priorities on the 2021 legislative agenda. And I think um, legislators um, were really excited to hear from workers. And that was a really impactful event. And um, we hope to do something similar 
um, with the 2021 virtual lobby day on April 8th, which is a Thursday. Um, for those of you who've been to lobby day before, I think it'll look similar, but virtual, um, which is fun. Um, and hopefully it means that more folks will be able to participate as a silver lining. Um, but, you know, learn about the policies, hear from impacted workers, and then actually have virtual meetings with the state legislators that represent you. So um, would love to have folks RSVP for that virtual lobby day on April 8th, a Thursday. Thanks, Katie. That's really helpful. Uh, I'll put the link to RSVP for Oregon Labor Virtual Lobby Day in the description of the episode so folks can easily click over and just sign up for that. Um, it's going to be a really fun day. Lobby Day is just a really, it, it, I think it's a really special event because you'll be sitting and talking to a legislator with folks from all over Oregon's economy, steel workers, construction workers, teachers, public workers, you name it. And everyone brings a different perspective to the table. And I think it's that that unity of, of workers, of the working class standing together, that really it is just a, a unique thing that only, you know, the Oregon AFL-CIO can offer uh, to, to our state lawmakers uh, is that opportunity to hear from so many different types of people. You know, with any sort of volunteering, um, there's nervousness. Uh, people want to know what what's the game plan, how it's going to go. And I think especially when you hear, oh, I'm going to be meeting with state legislators, that can really bring out some nervousness in folks. Jess, can you give us a, an, some insight onto what volunteers should expect when they sign up to join us on Lobby Day next April? Sure. Um, well, I would say that this is probably the best Lobby Day for you. Um, I think that we can all admit anyone who has just even seen the outside of the Capitol, right? It is these giant marble buildings. When you testify, you are literally testifying at a table that is lower than where the legislature, legislators sit. Like the structure of the Capitol um, isn't meant um, or intended to be a welcoming one. Um, but that means that this lobby day will be the best one for you to attend um, because you don't have to contend with all of that. You'll just be on a Zoom meeting like you have been probably for the past 10 months um, of our lives. So um, keep that in mind. But secondarily, I would just say that legislators are regular people, right? The Oregon, Oregon has a citizen legislature. And frankly, the makeup of this legislature um, is more hospitable towards uh, average working Oregonians than one that I have ever worked in in the past decade for the same reasons that we started this podcast out with, right? We have the most diverse group of freshman legislators and many of them come from union backgrounds. And then the last thing that I would say is um, just echoing what Katie said, right? You know, our job is to like navigate a bureaucratic process and figure out, um, you know, weird amendment processes and like structure things. But really at the end of the day, the reason that legislators support or don't support bills is because they either believe or they don't believe that an issue is the problem. And the best way to convince them that the policies that we're trying to pass will have an impact is from them hearing directly from you, from workers who have experience with retaliation, from workers who have experience with harassment, um, from workers who have experience with employers um, exploiting them, and from folks who just have good union values, um, because those are the folks these legislators need to hear from in their districts. Um, and Katie and I will just be the shepherd of making sure that we you get to the right place at the right time in the right Zoom meeting. Um, so this is probably the best 
legislative session for you to um, make your voice heard in the process. Awesome. Yeah, Lobby Day is going to be great this year. And one of my favorite parts about our Lobby Day is um, seeing folks who, you know, maybe it was their first time in 2017. And then in 2019, they brought a couple of members along with them and showed them how to you know how to talk about their union's priorities and issues. Um, it's it's just a really fun day where the spirit of solidarity um, absolutely shines through, and I, I look forward to it every single legislative session. Uh, so with pandemic happening, all of the legislative advocacy work that you two are normally engaged in face to face with legislators, that's all happening remotely now. It's all over Zoom. So I'm curious, how is that? How has that changed your job? Is is it easier to to have access to legislators now? Is it, are you are you missing the those long commutes back and forth from Salem? How's it been going? I mean, I won't lie. In some ways, it's made my job easier. Instead of having to leave my house at five thirty in the morning when I have to testify, that's no longer the case. Um, but I would say, you know, for the most part, I would rather be in Salem because our jobs are easier, right? Um, it is much easier to have a hard conversation with a legislator um, where you're trying to pin them down on a vote when you're sitting in their office and you can look them in their eye um, than it is over Zoom when, frankly, like it's unwieldy to begin with um, and everybody's kind of out of our element. And then I think um, one of the best things about being a labor lobbyist is that even though we're outnumbered by the employers in every sector of Oregon's economy, um, just the camaraderie that is found um, and the ability to connect with folks in the hallway to share um, what we've heard about, you know, either opposition to our bill or all of that, that aspect of lobbying is just gone. Um, so we can do Zoom check-ins and we do, but the ability to coordinate with our allies has just been much more difficult than in previous years. Katie, you wanna add anything? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that latter point is really what I was going to talk about just for like, um, sort of like personal sanity too. like, it's really nice to run into the, you know, lobbyists from ask me in the hall, um, and just have like a quick conversation and a quick check in, like, how are you doing? Um, what's going on? Like, what gossip do I need to know? Because it the, the building really is just like the biggest gossip mill ever, which is kind of fun and kind of awful. Um, but a lot of that will be much harder um, to track for, for all of us. So I think that will be really hard. And I think, you know, 15 minute Zoom meetings um, and not stepping away from your computer is just like rife for challenges. Um, and like, you know, the potential to get some more stuff done, but the potential to really um, not as well. So I think it'll be um, hard, but yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. I haven't worn like real shoes in like almost a year now besides like slippers and sneakers. So that is both bizarre and like probably really healthy for my feet. So, um, so that is the, that is the silver lining for sure. Ha, yeah. Amen to wearing slippers during the workday. I have mine on right now. Well, thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you also for the incredibly important work you do every single day to build power for Oregon's workers and to create an Oregon where our economy is fair and just for all. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please subscribe, leave a positive review, share this episode on social media. And until we see you next time, please stay safe. Bye-bye.